Blog Talk Radio. Which means good morning in the ancient 
Paleo Hebrew. I'm your friend, your brother, your host as always. Tazapot. Man, I hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody had a good uh Sabbath, a good weekend. Hope everybody's week is getting off to a good start, man. Uh I wanna send shouts out to our affiliated schools, all under the ISBHPK umbrella. The brothers here in San Antonio, Tejas, uh, the brothers out in uh, H-Town, the brothers in Rochester, New York, the brothers in uh, VA, uh, our new uh, affiliated brothers and sisters in Cali. Uh, shouts out to those brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Shifo. Uh, also, shouts out to the brothers out in Albuquerque, man. And shouts out to Kawa Cobb down in Guatemala, man. Um, <clears throat> man, you have to forgive me, man. I'm struggling right now. Uh, but I'm going to make it on through it. I'm going to make it on through it. If it's your first time tuning in, you're a first-time listener, I usually do about an hour of uh, news, current events, before I get into the topic at hand. The topic today is part of a series, an extensive series that I've been doing for quite some time now, uh, Never Wax Pale, uh, in an effort to prove who the original Israelites or Jews are, according to the Bible and other secular sources, which walks uh, us through time, man, through time, through historical accounts. Uh, and I think I was, yeah, I did start. I started with the split of the kingdom, the northern and southern kingdom of Israel. If you're not familiar with that, please go back and do your research. Read the Bible, y'all. It's all there contained. But the efforts, our efforts here at ISBHPK, uh, Bible Talk, our efforts, our, um, our mantra, our uh, determination, our goal to teach the Bible from a historical standpoint, because the Bible is not a book of religion. I repeat, the Bible is not a book of religion, but it is, in fact, a history book. There are historical accounts in the Bible that line up with history, y'all. So we have to get that uh, understood uh, before we pick up the Bible and start trying to read it like a novel, you can do so, but you're not going to get no understanding out of it without the history, man. Because the Bible, like I said, is a history book about a people's history, those peoples being the Israelites of the Bible, and those Karen Day Israelites, some of them are us over here in the Western Hemisphere of Negroid. Indian and so-called Hispanic descent. We are the true people of the book. We prove this extensively. We have a plethora of information and proofs to justify our claim, our statements. And this is uh, what pretty much sparked the class, man, in light of all the anti-Semitism rhetoric that was going on and the, the... uh, confrontational, the uh, beef, strife, the debate on who the true people of the book are, man. 
So this really inspired the class or the, the uh, plethora of classes that I've been doing uh, under the title of Never Wax Pale. I'm going to continue with that, but first I'm going to get a little current events, a little news, man. And I don't really have much uh, current events and news, <clears throat> but I do have a little bit, man. So like I say, uh, welcome to the show, y'all, if your first time tuning in. And I want to get this. I always start to show off with this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> and it reads, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily so we can get the hell on up out of this place, man. It's funny, too, because I was talking to uh, this brother uh, about this scripture. Let me see. I forgot to tag him in, too, man, on the... Uh, on the show. Let me send this link to him real quick, y'all. Sorry about this. Yeah, I've talked to his brother. Shouts out to the brother Elvis. <laughs> Very unique man. I've never met a black man named Elvis. But anyway, the first time for everything, I guess, right? Um, so I was talking to him about this, and he was uh, explaining to me that he was uh, booted off of, what was it, TikTok? Yeah, he said he was booted off of TikTok for uh, some statements he had made about the kingdom pertaining only to the Israelites and that uh, the other nations were going to be servants, and all this is biblical. So he made these claims, this statement, and um, people got offended. They put him in... Um, TikTok jail, and he was responding to somebody that was on there, some Christian was on there talking about uh, Christ's kingdom is already here. <laughs> Christ's kingdom is already here. I'm like, man, that is the most idiotic statement um, anybody can make because it tells us here, like I just read in Matthew 6 and chapter 9, uh, actually verse 10, it says, thy kingdom come. Meaning what? <laughs> kingdom is not here yet. Christ's kingdom, who who God appointed and gave this kingdom to by way of his sacrifices, his kingdom is not here. I want us to understand that his kingdom, Christ's kingdom is not here yet, y'all. Do y'all honestly think in God's kingdom you're going to have a damn pride month? I, I mean, really, do y'all really believe that? I mean, sadly, there are some people that believe this nonsense, that you're going to have a damn pride month in the kingdom of God. People that, that, that believe in the kingdom of God, you're going to have women dressed as men and men dressed as women. When the Bible told us told us in Leviticus, what is it, the, uh, Leviticus, the 20th chapter, uh, that a man should not... Uh, I'm sorry, it says that a man should not lay with mankind like he would lay with a woman. 
And it also tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that a woman should not wear those those things that pertain to a man, or nor should a man wear those things that pertain to a woman. So how the hell is God's kingdom already here? That's not a true factual statement, y'all. That is fantasy and religion. Because only religion teaches you can come as you are. Only religion teaches you can be who you want to be. You know, it reminds me of uh, that, that song from Living Color, the, the opening intro. You can do what you want to do in Living Color, in Living Color. People really believe that. They, they believe life is that damn show in Living Color where you can do what you want to do, you can be what you want to be. No, that's not factual. That's not going down in God's kingdom, y'all. Just FYI. Anyway, let me get the other scripture I was open up with. I know I'm doing my salt box a little early, but, you know, tend to do that sometimes. So let's get Psalms chapter uh, 118 and verse 24. And it reads, this is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy, sad, the most high brought you to it. He'll bring you through it, and you will come out better on the other side because of it, y'all. No doubt. All right, y'all. So uh, speaking of which, do I want to get this one first? Ugh. I hate when I do that. Hold on, y'all. Let me see if I could do this. I don't want to lose that. Let me see. Hold on. Um, let me try it, y'all. Let me try. Let me try. Hmm. Oh, it just took me back here. Wow. Let me get the other one there. See, I knew, I knew I shouldn't have did this. Anyway. Bear with me, y'all. I got to uh, look for this article. Here we go. All right. Now, good luck finding the other one, Talk about. All right, here we go. This is from NPR, uh, y'all. So the title reads, uh, LGBTQ plus creatives rely on pride my income. This year, they're filling the pinch. So it's talking about, y'all didn't know, this month is supposedly Pride Month for these letter people. But anyway, they ain't doing so hot economically this month for their Pride Month. And this is what the article is talking about. Let me get into it. It says, uh, by May, MI legit noticed that their inbox was curiously empty. So this is a, a company. Legit, the non-binary designer behind the gender-fluid substantial clothing company 
officially rebrand said companies that usually reached out to them for sponsors for sponsored partnerships ahead of Pride Month have not approached them this year. After talking with their peers, Legit said they realized it wasn't just me. <laughs> it's just been a really stark contrast from years before, they said. Every single year, my friends and I and my colleagues always get these additional jobs. In recent years, businesses, big and small, have seen June as an opportune time to position themselves as inclusive and to show their support for LGBTQ plus communities with Pride Month campaigns. Brand allyship has come in the form of collaborators with queer influencers and creatives with significant online followings. This year is different. Transgender voices, <laughs> anti-transgender voices have grown louder as conservative protests against big-name brands that singled support for LGBTQ plus communities. In April, after Bud Light's promotion with trans influencer Dalan Muvani sparked a boycott of the beer, parent company Anheuser-Busch put two executives on leave and distanced itself from Novani. <laughs> Last month, Target pulled some Pride merchandise from his stores over threats to safety of its workers. Y'all see this, right? <laughs> Hold on, man. We got to get a round of applause for that right there. People coming to their damn senses, man. All this damn nonsense is, is insane. So people are pulling ass, man. I didn't know. I didn't see that uh, the beer commercial they made. Uh, if y'all seen it, man, hit me to it. Uh, shoot, shoot it to me so I can witness it, witness it you know, just for uh, reference of what they're talking about. It ain't like I enjoy seeing this uh, insanity. But anyway, it says a uh, backlash has driven many brands to pull back on their move on their more visible pride market efforts. Experts say queer creators and influencers say they're feeling the fallout. Good companies are revel, uh, reveling all uh, all of their sponsorships and partnerships. I'm sorry, let me read this again, y'all. Companies are reevaluating all of their sponsorship and partnership, and they're trying to foresee those that might cause the most controversy, said Daniel Corscom, an associate professor of marketing at Dexter University's Lebao College of Business, and I think they're pulling back on those. Hyman, uh, yeah, Hyman, Sabatine, a TikTok creator who is non-binary, says they've also fielded few pride inquiries this year. The brands that Sabatine is working with this year tend to be smaller or queer-coded, they said. 
not as many big corporations. Good. Like I said, man, maybe the world's coming to its senses. Just maybe. Anyway, man, let's get uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Damn letter people, man. I'll tell you, they be off the chain. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and it reads, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, prudent in their own sight, man. And the reason I want to get this, man, is because these people are truly calling what's evil, what God calls evil, a good thing. I mean, here they is with a whole damn month dedicated to them. And triple off of this, y'all. This is so ironic. I laugh at this. So if you didn't know, February is Black History Month, right? Black History Month is the shortest month. February is the shortest month of the year. But they give these letter people the whole month of June, a regular size month. And they're always claiming that their plight is the same plight as black and brown people. <laughs> Ain't that ironic? But they got a longer month than y'all. <laughs> Man, I had I had to I had to. I had to. But anyway, these people are calling evil things good. Now, I preference the pride money and the whole damn pride thing because their symbol that they're walking around with is the rainbow, man. How evil, how damn wicked is that? Let's get Genesis chapter 9. So Genesis chapter 9, and let's start at, uh, and this is after the flood. So this is when Noah hit land, and now he's having a conversation with the Most High. So let's start at verse 11. Uh, And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore, but... I'm sorry, neither uh, neither will all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of the flood. Neither shall, shall, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So this is the Most High talking to Noah, saying he's going to establish an, uh, a covenant or make a contract with Noah that he's not going to flood the earth anymore, all right? Not with water, all right? He's not going to destroy the earth anymore with water. You got to remember, with water. He didn't say anymore, period. He just said he went on use water. Now watch this. Uh, and God said, this is the token of the covenant. So this is the token of the covenant, covenant, or the token of the contract that he's making with Noah right here. Meaning, hey, man, this is a sign of the covenant that I'm going to make with you. Like you uh, asked a young lady, in this day and age, in this society, ask your young lady to marry marry you. You get on your on bowing knees like a simp, 
and uh, give her a ring, put a ring on her finger. So that ring would be the token of your contract, all right? Just to use that analogy so people could understand what's going on here in Genesis chapter 9. All right, we know. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. All right? Now, remember, he said he was making this covenant with Noah and with Noah's lineage, okay? Verse 13, I do set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So the bow that he's talking about here is the rainbow, man. What else sign you going to see in the clouds? A bow, a rainbow of many colors. I know Skittles bid it, stole it, didn't really have an issue with them. But then these sodomites, these letter people, grab hope to it, and now they're running around. This is, this is supposed to be the token of the covenant of the Most High between him, Noah, and the earth. But they turn it into they whole little uh, insane organization, insane group of people, insane uh, whatever you want to call them, folks. They turned it into their little symbol, man. Like it's the damn bat symbol or something now for all uh, letter people. But it was originally a, the token of the covenant between Noah, the earth, and the Most High, that he would not destroy the earth anymore with water. Let me read on, verse 14. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant. And, you know, when do you most often see a rainbow appear in the sky? It's right after the rain. It's right after it rains. Because a lot of people, man, it be storming so bad sometimes, but people actually get scared and think that the Most High is going to flood the earth. Or in some areas of the country, it might flood so bad that you think the whole damn world is flooded. You're like, oh, man, God's doing it again. But what comes up slightly after that flood, slightly after that hard rain, you see a rainbow in the sky reminding you what? Nah, this ain't how he's going to take the earth out this time because he said he wouldn't do it no more. Remember, the most high is a man of his word. Whatever he says, he does. So that's why you see a rainbow after a hard rain because this is the token covenant that he made that he wouldn't destroy the earth anymore by water. So reading on verse 15, and I will remember my covenants. See this? The most high don't break his word, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Y'all see this, right? Verse 16, and the boat shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. How long was this rainbow going to be a sign to us that he was not going to flood the earth? Forever. An everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant 
which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. You see this? So this is what it was meant for. It wasn't meant for a sign of uh, you pitching, I'm catching, booted over, tooted over. It wasn't meant uh, for a sign of uh, we went, we swore fighting. It wasn't meant for a sign of we carpet munching each other, chewing on each other. We some dykes. We some fags. We some punks. It wasn't meant for a sign of that. It was meant as the token of the sign that you might know when you get a good hard rain, don't trip. Don't panic. The Most High is not going to destroy the earth by water. That's what it was actually meant for, y'all. I know a lot of people don't read the Bible. This is news to a lot of people because they thought, oh, that's the gay symbol. Uh, No. It's actually biblical. It's actually historical. It's actually true. You can see this, like I said, in the weather. Anyway, man, moving on. Just show you, man, how people just don't read the Bible, man. Don't read the Bible. All right, so it's going to take me a second to look for this. Um, let me see. I might be able to find it with no problem. Let's see. Look for this next one. I guess I could read this one. It's several of these. Uh, yeah, let's get this. I heard it was a movie written on this sister. I guess I got to look it up. If y'all know the name of it, please let me know. So this one here is from NPR also. Uh, it reads, uh, Henrietta Lacks family sues bio company for profiting from stolen sales. The estate of Heretta Lacks, uh, Heretta Lacks has filed a lawsuit against uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific which sells a commercial line of Gila tissue, uh, accusing the corporation of profiting from lax stolen sales. So if you're familiar with who this sister was, Loretta Lax uh, was the sister that they uh, experimented on. They took her cells. She had, I think, ovarian cancer. Well, anyway, they took her cells without her permission. John Hopkins University did. Took her cells without permission, and they used her cells to create many vaccines and things of that nature, and they called them uh, HeLa cells. So have you ever heard the term HeLa cells? This is where it comes from. This sister, Heretta Lacks. 
Okay, so it says, uh, oh, matter of fact, here it is right here. In 1951, a black woman named Heretta Lacks walked into John Hopkins Hospital in agonizing pain. Doctors diagnosed her with cervical cancer. She died just months later. But what this mother of five never knew was that her cells would outlive her and be used to develop new drugs and vaccines. So who gets to benefit from that? As Yasmin Ammer of WBUR explains, that question is at the center of a new lawsuit. Yasmin Amber byline, Heretta lacks sales. So uh, let me see, Yasmin Amber byline. And this is what she quoted. Heretta lacks sales were unusually and unusual and powerful, as Ron Lack says. I'm sorry, this is Ron Lack. Ron Lack, uh, we look at my grandmother as a superhero. So she, he's a descendant. So uh, Heretta Lack was his grandmama. The family just is very proud that our grandmother sailed was able to help so many. Her cells were the first known immortal cells, whereas other cells died in the lab. Hers thrived. They multiplied. They gave doctors the ability to do new innovation, innovative research. Names and fortunes were built up on them, nicknamed HeLa cells, for Heretta Lacks. After, I'm sorry, attorney Ben Crump filed the lawsuit on behalf of the Lacks estate. Ben Crump, why is it that everybody else can benefit because of her sales, yet her family have not received one red penny? The target of the suit is Thermo Fisher Scientific, which sells a commercial line of HeLa tissue. It, it, uh, it accuses the biotech company based outside of Boston on unjust enrichment because the company continued to profit from HeLa sales even after learning that Heretta Lack never gave her permission for them to be taken or to be used in that way. Now the family wants to financially compensate or wants financial compensation from Thermo Fisher and for other companies to get the family's permission. Again, her grandson, Ron Lacks. So I have to tell this story. I have to take back control of Heretta's legacy. This is not right. A spokesman for Thermo Fisher Scientific told NPR the company has no official response yet. <laughs> what happened to Lax became more widely known after Rebecca's uh, Shelot's 2010 book and an HBO movie. Here it is, starring Oprah. I didn't know that. Glenn Cohen teaches law at Biotech at Harvard and says what happened to Lax wasn't unusual. So what happened to this one sister was not unusual. They've been uh, scientifically experimenting on us for years. Shamshuan did a class on it um, uh, based off a book that he had read. 
called, um, what was it called? Uh, Medical Apartheid, I believe is the name of the book. I forget the author's name. Um, let me see, where was I at? Certainly, historically, everybody agrees that what was done to Heretta Lass, as it was done to many black women who sought hospital care at that time, was morally wrong. So we've been knowing about the experiments that they've been doing on us, not just the Tuskegee experiment, y'all, because everybody, they always want to say that and pull it out. And I'm not downplaying it. It was horrible. But they've been experimenting on us for generations, man, for centuries, actually. They've been experimenting on black and brown people. And what often gets swept under the rug is the birth control experiments that they did on the island of Puerto Rico. So they did that. They ran that for years, man, they did that. But that often gets overlooked. Um, this sister who I, I, I've never heard of, man, I'm going to have to look into this more. But look at all the contributions that we have made to this place and look how this place has done us and we're still trying to acquire a seat at Master's table, man. But the most high told us he was gonna do this to us. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight, man. This is like the, the vocal point of our existence here and all the other captivities that we've been in, man. So let me see. Uh, here it is. Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 43 says, The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Meaning what? All nations, all people were always going to be over us in all forms and all capacities, man, even in the medical industry. Because who's been benefiting from for years? Benefiting for years from the experiments that they've done on us. It ain't been us. Hell, we've been dying. We check, Do your research. Who are the main uh, people that's walking around this day and age, man, with cancer, sickle cell, or other disease, countless other diseases that black people are dying from? They had this dude, uh, what do they call this dude? Um, he does that news outlet. I used to do read from it a lot. Uh, NaturalNews.com. I forget forget the doctor's name, but he did a segment. And I believe it was on YouTube where he was talking about uh, cancer is caused amongst black black and brown people for a lack of vitamin D. He says a vitamin D deficiency. I don't know if y'all knew that, man. And he was going into how. Our skin uh, is designed, our melanin is designed to reflect the sun's light. That's the way the Most High made us, to, but to not absorb it. Where on the other hand, Esau and his red uh, pigment is designed, is like a melanin also, 
is designed to absorb the sun rays. And that's mainly why you see them running around here with skin cancer and things of that nature. While our skin was designed not to absorb, but to reflect. So the sun hits us and it, it doesn't penetrate our skin like it penetrates our red counterpart skin. And because of this, we have a vitamin C deficiency. And then I know a lot of us are uh, what they call lactose intolerant, uh, can't really stomach uh, dairy products. And it's not because of the dairy itself, man, contrary to popular belief. Because why else would the Most High say he's going to give us a land flowing with milk and honey if it was bad for us? So the reason that we're um, lactose or whatever is because the pasteurization of the dairy products and the pasteurization process is when they heat it up. They heat milk up, and milk is the byproduct of pretty much all dairy, uh, cheese, um, what else? Yeah, cheese, protein, the whey protein, the whey isolate protein, uh, the milk. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like I said, it's the byproduct of cow's milk. But they would heat this or they heat this milk up, this milk uh, product up, and they take out all the natural good bacteria that's in the product. They claim it was to get rid of the bad stuff. How could something be bad if God made it? Because remember in Genesis, the first chapter, he said that he seen that everything he made was good. So why would you have to go back and tamper with it? Because they evil as hell, man. That's why they would have to go back and tamper with things. Because they're like I said, they're evil as hell. That's why the most I said this right here, man. Let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 39. Ecclesiastes chapter 39, and I will start at verse 26. It says, the principal things for the whole use of man's life. Now, he said the principal things. The principal things are staples, necessities, things that human beings need to live. He said the principal things for the whole use of man's life are what? He said water. The first thing he said is water, man. You need water. Everybody needs water. Don't be dehydrated. Dehydration, in case y'all didn't know, will also set up a lot of diseases in your anatomy. So it's important that we stay hydrated, y'all. You should, everybody needs to be getting in one to two liters of water per day. That's every day. And if you're very active and you sweat a lot, you need to be getting about three liters in, man. But he says that water was made for the principal use of a man's life. But what does the so-called white man, because I refer to him because the earth belongs to him, he runs everything, what does he do with water? He puts a bunch of chemicals in it, fluoride, and all other kind of stuff, talking about it's to help your teeth, when that actually makes you docile. It makes you accept whatever they tell you. It makes you believe whatever they want you to believe. It tells you what to think. So they temper with the water. It says fire, iron, 
and salt, flour of wheat. So you got a lot of people running around saying, "Well, I'm um, what's they say? Uh, I need I, I'm I'm I have a, a gluten allergy, so it has to be gluten free." And we know that gluten is a byproduct of wheat, but we find out here that wheat is one of the principal things that the Most High gave us. So how the hell is wheat now bad for us? Because these people, they make the wheat bad with all the, um, what they call it, um, it's actually chemical warfare. But it's a process they they do in the realm of botany where they go in and they um, re, uh, re-engineer the genetics of plants so it can do it can it can perform certain tasks that they wanted to, to perform, you know, like Monsanto, that have the seeds that they have they have a certain certain seeds that that you can get from them that grow and it only grows one time, and they don't and the plant that that grows from those seeds they don't produce no more seeds. But remember what the Most High told us in Genesis that He gave us fruit bearing seed of itself, so it might what grow more seeds and replenish. But what do they do? They stop seeds from growing completely. Or they give you seedless watermelon or seedless grapes. This is what they do. So what they did with the wheat was they genetically modified it to where it wouldn't produce the goodness that it's supposed to produce for the body, but it in fact harm the body by terms of what's known as wheat belly. Wheat belly is that and they, they've engineered wheat to where you can eat a, a piece of this wheat with this gluten or whatever they're putting in it, and then like an hour later you're hungry again. It doesn't fill you up. Sub, Subway, I believe, uses that type of wheat. That's why you ever notice when you eat a Subway sandwich, man, like an hour later you're hungry again? That's the wheat belt. It says honey. And we know that all the bees are dying off, man. Y'all better do your research, check the news. Bees are dying off in a, a rapid a rapid rate all around the country. So you ask yourself, what's, what's so important about bees? And I'm talking about honey right here. Bees pollinate everything you eat. From any form of fruit or vegetable, bees are pollinating that. Zucchini, uh, uh, tomatoes. Uh, what else? Your cantaloupe, your uh, strawberries. I mean, you name it, the bees are pollinating that. They get pollen from, from the male plant, and they deliver it into the female plant. That's the operation of the bees. So when it talks about honey here, it's not just talking about honey itself. It's talking about the pollination that the bees do. Now, let's deal with honey. If the bees are dying off, at a rapid rate, at a, a, a an enormous rate, then where the hell are you getting your honey from? Is it really honey that you buy from the store? Do you research on this? A lot of companies are putting filters in. They're putting sugar in honey to make it sweet and other um, artificial colors so it might look like it's honey. Anyway, going back to the scripture, these are the principal things that the Most High made for mankind. All right, it says milk. 
I already talked talk to y'all, described the uh, pasteur, pasteurization process in making milk, that they're heating the milk up. You don't read nowhere in the scriptures where the Most High tells us to heat the milk up before we drink it. Anyway, it says, in the blood of grapes. It's talking about wine. You know that they got uh, grapes growing out in California that don't need water? <laughs> they don't need water. How you got any plant that does not require water and is growing? I don't know how they doing that, man. They're, you see how they're, they're uh, going in and altering the original creations of the Most High? He says in oil and clothing. So these are all the principal uses of, of a man's life. And even with the oil, y'all, I hope y'all are not using canola oil. Or what is it? Uh, yeah, the canola oil is terrible. It's a man-made product. It's got uh, uh, that corn oil and uh, all kind of crap in it, man. I hope y'all not using it. The best, the best oil that I've seen, uh, uh, that I've seen, that I've, I've experienced in my own research on, would be the grapeseed oil, man. Grapeseed oil is good. Uh, they say that avocado oil is good. Uh, I think they said sunflower. I got to do my research on that, on the sunflower. All right, but these were all the, the things that the Most High made for the use of man's life so we could live, man. We could we could survive. Now watch this, verse 27. All these things are for good to the godly. So these are good things created for the godly. Now watch this. So to the sinners, they are turned into evil. But what do sinful people do? They turn all these good things that was named in verse 26, water, fire, iron, salt, flour, wheat, honey, milk, blood of grapes, they turn it into evil, man. And they have in all the examples that I just brought out. It's no different than than, than them using this, this sister's uh, stem cells <laughs> for themselves, but they let this sister die. And they've let countless others of us die by basic knowledge that we don't know, man. We dying from. Like I said, man, y'all need to, if you're not uh, in tune with nature or in tune with natural remedies, you need to get to it, man. Look it up. Basic anatomy. Basic anatomy will help us and take us a long way, man. Like I said, water is very important. Uh, cleaning out your gut, your gut health is imperative, man. That you have good gut health. You want things to be moving. If you ain't, if you pooping every other day or once a week, you're literally full of poop. I'm trying to be, trying not to cuss, y'all. I'm trying not to use profanity. You're full of caca. You need to be going to poop. Every day, at least once a day, at least once a day. And honestly, once a day, you're still constipated. You need to be going like two, three times a day. That's on the real, man. That's that's how fast your bowels should be moving. Think about it, y'all. If you're not going to the bathroom on a regular, then where's all the food going? It ain't going nowhere. It's just sitting there in your gut, and it's rotting. This is what causes the cancers. That's what a cancer is. It's, it's a rotten, it's a rotten cell that's just sitting in your body, just hanging out, chilling. 
this is what starts like things things like the stomach cancer, the blood cancer, the bone cancer. And then we run around eating all this damn fast food. We at Popeye's chicken every damn Tuesday to get the two piece for two dollars or whatever it is. We running up in the church's chicken. We in McDonald's. We we at Wendy's, we at Burger King, you name it, we in them places, man. Eating bad, cheap food. That's going to cost you your life, y'all. Now, I'm not saying never, ever do it. I know we all going to indulge every now and again. But a lot, of, a lot of us, this is our daily routine, man. Daily routine. And Esau then came out of countless documentaries and told us what the effects of these foods would do on us or do to us long term. Y'all remember uh, Super Size Me? That's old. But they didn't make films since then. But the dude in Super Size Me ate McDonald's for like a month, and he had all kinds of damn health issues. Gained an enormous amount of weight. Say, man, we got people still running to get McDonald's. Even when they've been exposed several times over for using horse meat, people still running McDonald's. I don't get it, man. Our people. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna take a brief intermission, and I'm gonna come back with the class entitled "Never Wax Tail: The Birth of Christ and Its Significance." It's very significant. So y'all, I'm gonna take this break, and I'll see y'all on the other side of this uh, intermission.
y'all. All right, I am back. All right, y'all. So back with the uh, class, Never Wax Tale, The Birth of Christ and Its Significance. Sorry, y'all. I hope y'all can still hear me loud and clear. I had to relocate. My phone juice is running low. Anyway, last week, why am I hearing this static? What the hell is that about? Hold on, let me tell you. Still hearing it. It's a little better. If y'all listening in, let me know whether or not I'm clear, man. I'm hearing a little static on my end. Cool. I guess it's just me. All right. So um, last week we went over um, the rebellion, um, the end of independence for uh, the Israelites, for the southern kingdom, and we covered the 12 Caesars. Okay, the water. Uh, we went over the 12 Caesars. We covered Rome coming into power. Uh, went over Daniel. All right, so this week, Let me do a small recap, man. So let's read uh, who is Esau, who is Edom, dealing with Herod, Herod, the, the so-called great, uh, page eight, man. I don't know if I read this last week, but let me just do a recap real quick so we can get into it. It says, Herod was a shrewd and unscrupulous tyrant and was despised by the Judites because he was an Idumean and not one of their own stock. So... This once again proven that uh, Herod was not an Israelite. He was an Idumean, and I covered this last week, who the Idumeans are. The Idumeans came from a nation known as the Edomites. The Edomites originated by their progenitor, this dude named Esau, who we know is the so-called white man, according to the Bible and other uh, secular sources. It says, Herod hated the people of Judea. And one of his first acts was to execute 45 of the elders of the old aristocracy to eliminate any rivalry for leadership. So Herod hated the Israelites. He hated the Jews. And one of his first things was to kill, it says, 45 of the leaders of the old aristocracy to eliminate uh, aristocracy to eliminate any rivalry from leadership. It says, having secured the king, the, king, the kingship, Herod next destroyed the priestly line of Hycranus, the last being Antigonus, who taunted Herod with his Idumean origin. So you had this Israelite, because uh, Antigonus uh, was a um, descendant of John Hycranus, so you had him, he was taunting Herod with his Idumean origin, letting them know, hey, man, you ain't one of us. Read it on. It says, and asserted that the kingdom should fall on one of the royal families. So he was saying that it should be in his bloodline, his lineage. Finally, he murdered Artabulus, the last of the uh, Aaronic, Aaronic priests, the Aaronic high priests. Herod then sought to affiliate, affiliate himself 
with the high priesthood through marrying memory or memory memory or to Judas's sister and the daughter of a high priest. So to legitimize his reign of power, what he did was marry um, Artabutus' sister. And Artabutus was the, one of the last or the last uh, of the family of the Maccabees or the Hasmoneans, y'all. Herod even rebuilt the temple as it was in ruins from repeated seizures, part of which Herod was responsible for by his attack upon the city. The temple of God became, in a sense, Herod's temple. So this is the same temple that Christ went in, y'all, flipping tables over, and where the money money exchangers were there, exchanging money, and they were also selling animals for the uh, sin sacrifice or the sin offerings. It's the same temple, the same temple that got that damn weeping wall that has nothing to do with the Bible, still there in Jerusalem. It said, we thus find that in the years just before the time of Christ, Judea was controlled by an Edomite faction. This is very important that we remember this. So during the, just before the time of Christ, and even during the time of Christ, <laughs> Judea or Judah, Jerusalem was controlled by other nations who were posing as us. It says, who usurped the uh, Judite name, land, and heritage. You see this? It says, who usurped the Judite name, land, and heritage. They took it. They never were part of it. It says, under Hycranus, the Edomites were forced to be part of Judean culture, but under Herod, the Herodian faction had control over the Judeans' culture and way of life. So they had control over what we believed in. It says, confounding the matter in the fact that some Judites had intermixed with Edomites, Canaanites, and other alien stock at the time they returned from the Babylonian captivity. So he's letting you know that this stuff had been going on, man, through the many different captivities captivities that we have been in, that we was mingling with the other nation. And this is what the Most High always warned us not to do. It says, these mixed blood people were also hostile toward the Judean Israelites. So you had the offspring of these mixed blood Israelites started hating the, 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 uh, the real Israelites, hating either their, uh, their mama's side or their daddy's side, whichever side was the Israelite that was in them. They was hating them. It says the land was not the kingdom of Judah, but the nation of the Jews. You see this? And we know that the nation of the Jews, the current day Jews, the imposters, the anomalies, they're a religion, not a heritage, not a bloodline, not a culture, y'all. All right? I want, all right? I want us to understand this. All right, the water cuz. Appreciate it. All right, it says, uh, historically, the Edomites became known as the Jews, see, a term derived from Judea, which was derived from the name of Judah, right? Judah being one of Israel's uh, sons, his fourth-born fourth fourth son, let me slow down, fourth-born son of Israel. This is being the royal line 
of Israel, though they were never of Judah or Israel. You see this, man? These are facts, y'all. These are facts. All right, so that was from the book, Who is Esau, Who is Edom? Just explaining Herod and his lineage and the fake Jews. All right, now let's get into the birth of Christ. So let's open up with, uh, hold on, y'all, let me get it. Let's open up with this book, Caesar and Christ, The Story of Civilization by Will Durant. Page five thirty one. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Harold the Great. His character was typical of an age that had produced so many men of intellect without morals, (laughs) ability without scruples, and carriage without. So this is the characteristic of Herod, man. He had no morals, he had no scruples, and he had no honor. Of course he didn't. He's so-called white man. This is how they get down. Read on. He was, in his lesser way, the Augustus of Judea. Like Augustus, he overlaid the chaos of freedom with dictatorial orders, beautified his chapel with Greek architect and sculpture. So you see this? He beautified his, his capital with Greek architecture and sculpture. This dude was still an Idumean, a Macedonian at heart, man. You see, I hope y'all seeing this. He still, he was letting you know who he was. Because if he was an Israelite, then the capital of Jerusalem would have had a bunch of Israelite architects there. But it had a bunch of Greek architects there. And then I want us to really understand the Greek influence still going on in our lands. It says, enlarge his realm, made it prosper, achieve more by subtle subtlety than by arms, marveled widely, was broken by treachery of his offspring, and knew every good fortune but happiness. Josephus describes him as a man of great physical bravery and skill, a perfect marksman with arrow and javelin. Of course, because this was Esau's blessing. Remember, I read this last week. A mighty hunter (laughs) who is one day caught, who in one day caught 40 wild beasts, and such a warrior as could not be withstood. He must have added some charm or personality to these qualities, but he was always able to out-talk or out-bribe the enemy who sought to discredit him with Anthony, Cleopatra, or Octavia. From every crisis, Trumbius, he emerged with larger power and territories than before until Augustus judged him too great a soul for so small a dominion, restored the cities of Hasmonean Palestine to his kingdom, and wished Herod might rule Syria and Egypt too. So 
Carroll was, in case you didn't know, he was given this position initially by Julius Caesar where he would be the ruler of the client state, which was Israel or, or Judea or Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. So he was given this. But uh, Augustus actually wanted to give this dude more because he said this dude was so powerful and influential. We know it says the the Idumean was a was a generous as well. I'm sorry. Let me read again. The Idumean was a generous as well as ruthless man, and the benefits he conferred upon his subjects were equal only by the injuries. He did them. All right. He says, it says, he was molded in part by the hatred of those he had defeated or whose relatives he had slain, which would be who? <laughs> Us, the Israelites. And by the scornful hostility of, of a people that resented his harsh aristocracy and his alien descent. Talking about us. We hated him. He had become king by the help and money of Rome and remained to the end of his life a friend and vassal of the power from which the people, people night and day, plotted to regain their liberty. So we were plotting to uh, overthrow Herod and take back control of what was rightfully ours, the uh, southern kingdom. We know the modest economics of the country bent and at last broke under the taxes imposed upon it by a luxurious court and a building program out of uh, proportion to the national wealth. Herod sought in various ways to appease his subjects, but failed. He forgave taxes in four years, persuaded Rome to reduce the tribute and exact secure privileges for the Jews abroad, relieve famine and other calamities promptly, maintain internal order and external security, and develop the natural resources of the land. Brigades was ended. Trade was stimulated. The markets and ports were noisy with life. At the same time, the king alienated public sentiment by the loose by the loosening of his morals, the cruelty of his punishments, and the accidental drowning in the bath of Artabulus, grandson of Hyperenus II. So he drowned him. Wow. And there for the legitimate heir to the throne, the priest whose power he had ended and whose leaders he appointed conspired against him. And the Pharisees abominated his apparent resolution to make Judea a Hellenistic state. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees hated the fact that he was Hellenizing the people. But remember, we had already self-Hellenized ourselves and were forced Hellenized during the time of the Greeks by Antiochus. This is renowned, ruling many cities that were more Greek than Jewish in population and culture and impressed with the refinement and variety of Hellenistic society, Herod himself, not by origin or conviction of conviction a Jew, 
let me read it again. Herod himself, not by origin or conviction a Jew, naturally saw a cultural unity for his realm and an imposing facet for his rule. By encouraging Greek ways, dress, ideals, literature, and arts, he surrounded himself with Greek scholars entrusted to them high affairs of state and made Nicholas of Damascus a Greek, his official counselor and historian. So you see how this dude was not an Israelite, all right? He was not an Israelite. He was posing as an Israelite, and the Israelites hated him. So this is Herod, his rise to power, the power he had over uh, Judea. Now let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. So Herod is very important as it pertains to the New Testament and the birth of Christ. We have to remember this because if you don't have these pieces, you're going to be lost by the time you make it to the New Testament. And you start reading about Herod and his name being dropped. So I gave that, uh, all the information on Herod, so you would know his character, who he was uh, nationally, and what his ethnicity ethnicity was. He was not a Jew, all right? He was posing as one. All right, let's get Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 1. I read this before, uh, but I got to read it again just so we'll know. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this is the lineage of Christ. All right? hope y'all seeing this. Uh, I'm going to jump down. I ain't going to read all this. I'm going to jump down, verse 17. So from, from verse 1 all the way down to uh, verse 15, it gives the lens of Christ. And you won't find Herod mentioned anywhere in there because he was not a Jew. He's not from the lens of Christ. To say you are a Jew means you're from the tribe of Judah. All right? <laughs> You're from the tribe of Judah. That makes you a Jew. And that's what they uh, used to refer to people that's from the tribe of Judah. But after the Babylonian captivity, y'all, after the Babylonian captivity, they started referring to the southern kingdom as Jews. All right? I want us to understand this. And let me read verse 17. Listen to this. So all the generations from Abraham to David, or 14 generations. And remember, who's Abraham? Abraham is the progenitor or the forefather of Christ because we're reading Christ's lineage. So it says, from Abraham to David, 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon. So what is this talking about? What is the significance of this? So from David, David had a son named Solomon, right? Solomon got the empire the nation of, of Israel, and he ruled for 40 years. And this kingdom happened around 930 B.C. You had the Israelites, composed of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they split up. The northern kingdom was took into captivity under the Assyrians. All right? But the southern kingdom, this is what's talking about right here, when it's a captivity under the Babylonians, all right? This is, all this is history. So it says, I'm going to read this part again. 
and from David unto the carrying away unto Babylon or 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon, now listen to this, unto Christ or 14 generations. So this is about roughly 559 years of history. So after the Babylonian captivity, which the southern kingdom of Israel went into, you had the Persian Mede captivity that came. Then after the Persian Mede captivity, you had the Greek captivity that came. And after the Greek captivity, you had the Roman captivity, and this is during the time of Christ. And this is what it's talking about right here at the end of this precept. It says, and from the carrying away to the Babylonian, I'm sorry, and from the carrying away into Babylon until Christ. So unto Christ would be the Roman occupation or the Roman captivity of the southern kingdom or 14 generations. All right, we got to understand this. This is the, the history of Christ, Christ and Christ's people. So Christ was born into captivity. No different than uh, David was born. I'm sorry, not David. Daniel was born into captivity. Daniel actually went through, Daniel was in two different captivities. He was in the Babylonian captivity and the Persian Mede captivity. All right, but this is Christ's lineage. And Christ was born, like I said, once again, during the Roman captivity of the southern kingdom of Israel. Read on in verse 18. Now, the birth of, of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of information in there. I ain't going to go into it right now because I want to stick to the point. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So when it talks about uh, her husband Joseph, he don't want to make her a private example, meaning he didn't want her to be looking like she was a hoe, all right, because she was pregnant, and the people didn't know that they had came together already, that they was married. But her walking around with a big belly would have been like, oh, man, she's been tricking off on him. So he didn't want to put her away. But anyway, it's a whole other topic, getting back on point. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Y'all hear this, right? So he's from the lineage of David. Fear not to take unto thee, marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21 is the part I want to get to, y'all. It says, and she shall bring forth a son, that she is Mary, and thou shalt call his name, his son, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So what is the significance of Christ being born during the Roman captivity? Christ was coming to save his people from that captivity. Christ was going to be the Savior of Israel in the form of what? Sacrifice. Christ's death. He was going to be the savior for his people. I hope everybody understands this. Every captivity that the Israelites have been in, 
God, the Most High, would always send them a Savior. So the significance of Christ being born was he was going to be the Israelites' Savior from this particular captivity, from the Roman captivity. I hope everybody's getting this. This is why his birth is so significant. Now, let's get some backdrop information on what was going on during this time of Christ's birth. All right, so let's go. We're going to Wikipedia now, y'all. And the title reads, Massacre of the Innocents. Massacre of the Innocents. Matter of fact, before we get this, I'm sorry, y'all, I skipped something. Let's get Matthew chapter 2. Let's get Matthew chapter 2 and let's start at verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So this is when he was born, right? saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So it was already prophesied. Everybody knew that Christ was going to be born, and he was going to be what? The king of the Jews. Now watch this. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So why the hell would Herod be troubled right here at the saying that Christ was going to be born and he was going to be king of the Jews? Because who was Herod at this particular time in history, y'all? He was king of the Jews because he was king over Judea. This is why he was going through changes when he heard that Christ was going to be born and Christ was going to be the Messiah or the king of the Jews. This is why he was going through changes because he didn't want to rule his position. Remember, he had killed off all the Maccabean family, all that lineage. To legitimize his throne, he married the the one of the last offspring, the, the female offspring of the Maccabees. So this dude was trying to keep his power. He was trying to stay the king of the Jews, who he was not really the king of the Jews or the king of Christ. It's the king of the Jews. So he heard about Christ being born, and this dude was going through changes. Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. So he, he was surrounded by Israelites that knew the scriptures as well as Edomites. We can't forget this. Edomites he was surrounded by also who knew the scriptures. Because remember, what did John Hyrcanus do to the land of Edom? He forced converted them into what we currently know as Judaism. He forced them to become circumcised and forced them to keep the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High. So they knew. They had been studying. They, they know our history. No different than this day and age. They know our history. They know who we are, y'all. Anyway, read on verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. And this is written. This is in the Old Testament. Read on verse 7. Then Herod, when he had heard privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring him word, I'm sorry, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. So this is a false pretense. He's lying to them, talking about he's going to come worship. We're going to find out he, his, his, his thought process was not to worship Christ, verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they were coming to the house, so these were the wise men. Remember, it didn't say three. So this is knocking out, knocking out the whole uh, nativity scene. And it don't mention no born. It said they was coming into a house. All right, read on. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they prepared. I'm sorry. Let me slow down. They presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So did he really? Did Herod really want to worship Yahushai? Did he really want to worship Christ? Hell no. He was trying to kill him. Why was he trying to kill him? Because he was trying to protect his position as the king of Judea, the king of the Jews. Verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there unto the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, now we got, we got to put this together, y'all. This is two different events. So it talks about Herod uh, dying in verse 15, but in verse 16, Herod is, uh, this is when he was alive. So verse 15 jumps ahead, but verse 16 puts us back into reading the context. I want to understand this. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. So how old was Christ when he made when he he was a fugitive? He was two, born on the run. All right, read on. According to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, uh, Jeremy the prophet, saying, "In Ramah was there a voice heard." Rachel, let me read it. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. So what this is talking about here, y'all, is this right here. Let me jump back up. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked 
of the wise men was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So in verse 18, when it talks about Rachel crying, so Rachel was our matriarch, man. This is where uh, part of the 12 tribes came from. So it's talking about her weeping for the Israelite children. Why was she, why was uh, Rachel going to be weeping? Why was our women weeping, our nation weeping? Because Herod killed our children. All right, you don't believe me? Let's go here. So this is Wikipedia, Massacre of Innocence. And it already told us this in the Bible. So I'm just going to get this secular source. And I've got another one, too, that's going to prove this. It says, the massacre or slaughter of the innocents is a, a porpited incident. The word porpited means that it's, it's not uh, validated or it's folklore or it's rumored. That's what they're saying. They're saying it's rumored that this incident happened. <laughs> We're going to find out that it, it actually happened. Now, let me read on. It says, in the nativity narrative of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, 16 through 18, in which Herod the Great, king of Judea, orders the execution of all male children who are two years older and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Christians venerate them as the first Christian martyrs. A majority of Herod's biographers and probably a majority of biblical scholars hold the event to be myth or legend. <laughs> Y'all hear this, right? They said that it's a myth or it's a legend. Now, we already read it out of the Bible, so we know damn well it ain't no myth or no legend because we know the Bible is factual. You can match it up with other historical accounts, which we are about to do. All right. So let's go to this other article that I pulled off Wikipedia. I'm sorry, that I pull off the internet. So this is from ncregister.com. And the title is, Yes, the Slaughter of the Innocents Really Happened. And here is the evidence. So I'm going to jump down to who was Herod the Great. So, Herod the Great was the king of Judea at the time of Jesus at the time Jesus was born. He had the title king, but he was not an independent ruler. Instead, he was a client king of the Roman Empire, who had been named king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Not by the Israelites, because he was not an Israelite. Read it on. This meant that he was a local ruler who ultimately answered to Rome and who owned his throne, or oldest throne, to the Roman Senate. Religiously, Herod was a Jew, but ethnically, he was descended from a neighboring people, the Idumeans. Hope y'all listening. They had been forcibly converted to Judaism in the time of the Maccabees 
and it cites Josephus' Antiquity of the Jews, Book 13, Chapter 9, verse uh, Paragraph 1. As a ruler, he built a lot of things, fortresses, aqueducts, theaters, etc. Undertaking major public works pro- projects was one of the ways that rulers in the ancient world built a legacy for themselves. His famous building project was the Temple of Jerusalem, which he began dramatically expanding. He also had another side. Hmm. All right, now listen to this. Hold on, wait a minute. Um, Let me jump down a little bit. Total moral monster. This is the headline. This is what it's saying about Herod. He was a total moral monster. It says, his cruelty lasted right up until the end when he ordered that one person in every family should be slain so that the whole kingdom would be forced to mourn at the occasion of his death. Yes, y'all heard this correctly. You heard this correctly. I'm going to read on. Matter of fact, let's go to the Josephus now. We're going to jump back and forth because this article cites the Josephus, but we got to get the Josephus. We're going to put both of them together. So we're going to the Josephus Page 62, I'm going to get the chapter and all that for y'all in a second. If you got the blue Josephus, it's page 462. And this is uh, book 17, chapter 6, paragraph 5 and paragraph uh, 6. And it reads, it says, But now Herod's distemper, greatly increased upon him after after several manner I'm sorry, after a severe manner. So what happened to Herod was he eventually ended up getting sick. All right? So it was talking about his distemper, talking about his illness. And this by God's judgment upon him for his sins. So the most high was stinging him. It says, For his fire his fire glowed in him slowly, which did not so much appear to the torch outwardly as its argument, his pains inwardly. For it brought upon him a vehement appetite to eating, so he had an impulsive appetite. It says, which he could not avoid to supply with one sort of food or another. His entrails were also exuberated, so he had trouble in his bowels. It says, and the chief violence of his pain laid on his colon. So this dude had trouble in the bowels, and something that was going on with his colon. It says, an aqueous and transparent fluid, so a watery-like fluid, also settled itself about his feet, and in like manner afflicted him at the bottom of his belly. So this dude was like he had some kind of fluid that was coming up out of him that was running all the way down to his feet. It says, uh, nay, further, his private members, was putrefied and produced worms. So he had worms coming out of his rod. It says, and when he had set, well, either his rod or his, his, his rectum, his anus, one of the two had worms coming out of him, probably his booty hole. It says, and when he sat upright, he had a difficult, uh, he had a difficult, uh, a difficulty of breathing, that trouble breathing, which was very loathsome on account of the stench of his breath. 
So his breath was funky. In the quickness of his returns, he had also convulsions in all parts of his body, which increased increased his strength to an unsufferable degree. It was said by those who pretended to, to divine and who were endowed with wisdom to foretell such things that God inflicted his punishment on the king on account of his great impiety. Yet was he still in hopes of recovering. So he thought he was going to recover. Though his affliction seemed greater than anyone could bear, he also sent for physicians and did not refuse to follow what type, uh, what they prescribed for his, for his assistance, and went beyond the river Jordan, and bathed himself in warm baths that were at Kalahar, uh, which, besides their other general uh, virtues, were also fit to drink. Which water runs? I'm sorry. Which water runs into the lake called? As as uh, as fastilis, and when the physicians once thought fit to have him bathed in a vessel full of oil, it was supposed that he was just dying. But upon the lamentable cries of his domestics, domestics, he revived, and having no longer the least hopes of recovering. He gave order that every soldier should be paid 50 drachmas, a drachmas. And he also gave a great deal to their uh, commanders and to his friends and came against Jericho, where he grew so choleric that it brought him to do all things like a madman. And though he were near his death, he contrived the following wicked designs. So this is him upon his deathbed coming up with wickedness. And I'm reading all this so we can get the character of this dude, so we can see that the story of innocence is not far-fetched. He commanded that all the principal men of the entire Jewish nation, wheresoever they live, should be called to him. So he called all the, the men who had power of the Jews, of the Israelites. Accordingly, they were a great number that came because the whole nation was called, and all men heard of this call, and death was the penalty of such as should despise the epistle that were sent to, the, to call them. And now the king was in a wild rage against them all. So if you didn't come, then you died. The innocent, as well as those that had afforded him ground for accusation, and when they would come, he ordered them all to be shut up in the hippodrome and sent for his sister, Salome, and her husband, Alexis, and spoke thus to them, I shall die in a little time. So great are my pains, with which death ought to be cheerfully borne. So he was wishing death because he was in so much pain. And... To with to welcome, and and to what? Uh, sorry, y'all. And to be welcomed by all men. But what principally troubled me is this. So we're gonna find out what was really bothering him upon his death. 
that I shall die without being lamented, uh, uh, lamented. So this dude was saying he was troubled to know that he was going to die and ain't wasn't nobody going to cry after him. Now watch this. And without such mourning as men usually expect at a king's death, for that he was not unacquainted with the temper of the Jews, that his death would be a, a thing very desirable and exceedingly acceptable to them. We wanted him to die because during his lifetime, they were ready to revolt from him and to abuse the donations he had to be dedicated to God in his temple. That it, it therefore was their business to resolve to afford him some alleviation of his great sorrows on this occasion. For that, if they do not refuse him, their consent in what he desires, he shall have a great mourning at his funeral, and such as never any kind had before him. For then the whole nation would mourn from from their very soul, which otherwise would be done in sport of mockery only. <laughs> He's saying, man, if he just died and he don't put these dudes under some pressure to where they mourn, then they're, they're going to mock this dude when he's dead. Us, the Israelites. He says, he desired, therefore, that as soon as they see he had given up the ghost, they shall play soldiers round the hippodrome while they do not know that he is dead and that they shall not declare his death to the multitude till, till this is done, but that they shall give orders to have those that are in custody shot with their darts and that this slaughter of them all will cause that he shall not miss to rejoice on a double account, that as he is dying, they will make him secure that his will shall be executed in what he charges them to do, and that he shall have the honor of a memorable, a memorable mourning at his funeral. So he deployed his condition with tears in his eyes and obsessed them by the kindness due for them, I'm sorry, from them, as of his kindred and by the faith they owe to God and begged of them that they would not hinder him of this honorable mourning at his funeral. So they promised him not to transgress his commands. So what this dude really wanted, he wanted to be mourned at his funeral. He wanted to be a great morning in the funeral, but he know he knew that the Jews hated him, the Israelites hated him, and they weren't going to cry out that he died. They was going to rejoice and have fun, have a party. Verse 6, now anyone may easily discover the temper of this man's mind, meaning that everybody knew this dude was nuts. He was a madman. It says, which not only took pleasure in doing what he had done formerly against his relatives or his relations, Meaning, because he killed off his all his relatives that was heir to the throne. This dude even killed his some of his kids. It's just out of the love of life, but by those commands of of his of his which favored on no uh, humanitarian uh, humanitarian you humanitarian 
since he took care when he was departing out of his life that the whole nation should be put into mourning and indeed made desolate of their dearest kindred. When he gave order, now listen to this, that one out of every family should be slain. So he gave the order that all these men be killed out of every family be slain. Now, this is the reason. Although they had done nothing that was unjust or against him, nor were they accused of any other crimes, while it is usual for those who have any regard to virtue to lay aside their hatred at such a time, even with respect to those they justly esteem their enemies. All right, now going back to this article, so let's read what he says in this article. And this is this is plainly said. It's not like the Josephus. Josephus is kind of hard to understand sometimes. It says, uh, Jewish historian Josephus records, he commanded that all the principal men of the entire Jewish nation, wheresoever they lived, should be called to him. According, there were a great number that came because the whole nation was called, and all men heard of this call. And death was the penalty of such as should despise the letters that were sent to call them. And now the king was in a wild rage against them all, the innocent as well as those that had afforded him ground for accusations. And when they were come, he ordered them all to be shut up in the hippodrome and sent for his sister Salome and her husband Alexis and spoke thus to them. I shall die in a little time. But what principality troubled me is this, that I shall die without being lamented or lamented and without such mourning as men usually expect at a king's death. So this is what he did. Herod therefore ordered those that are in custody shot with darts. He took care when he was departing out of life that the whole nation should be put into mourning and indeed made desolate of their dearest kindred. So they would be crying over the kinfolk that they lost, not his ass, but over his kinfolk. But it happened on the day that he died that people would think that they were crying over Herod and the fact that he was dead. When he gave order that one out of every family should be slain, although they had done nothing that was unjust or against him, nor were they accused of any other crimes in the sites of Josephus that we just read. Got it? Herod rounded up the leading men of Israel and ordered them to be killed upon his death, just so every family would be forced to mourn at his passing. All right. And it says the slaughter of the innocents, which is uh, what we have in question right now. It It says, so when... In his late paranoid phase, the Maggie show up and asks, where is he that is born king of the Jews? This is referring to what we just read in Matthew. What is Herod going to do? He's going to freak out. It's no surprise that Matthew writes, one, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You bet all Jerusalem was troubled. They knew the length Herod would go to end his, uh, his efforts to protect his throne from rival claimants. Y'all hear this? They knew. 
So if he couldn't find the infant he was looking for, Herod, whipping out the baby boys, oh, sorry, wiping out the baby boys in Bethlehem and its surrounding areas in order to eliminate a potential rival is completely plausible. Y'all hear this? Because we already got the mentality of this dude. He was willing to kill his own son when he thought they threatened his throne. And he was willing to conduct widespread massacre for the sake of his own vanity, as we've seen. It's talking about his death. The slaughter of the innocents is totally in keeping with Herod's character. The record we have, so what record do we have of this event? Matthew's Gospel. It's true that we don't have an independent record, but that's true for a great number of things in the ancient world. Meaning, no, we ain't got record for every single thing that happened in the ancient world. It says so much ancient literature has been lost that often only one record survives. So we don't have a lot of historical accounts on all events, is what it's saying. Some of the records have been lost, burned, or in this case, I honestly believe that they hid them. They hid them because they didn't want people to know who Herod really was, his lineage, so on and so forth. And when that record is consistent with other things, we know like Herod's bloodthirsty and paranoid character, there is no reason to distrust it. What Matthew says about Herod sounds exactly like the Herod we know. The idea that the Gospels are false until proven true is nonsense. Even if one does not come at this issue from a perspective of faith, one, one should be willing to acknowledge that the Gospels can, can and do contain historical information that matches with what we know of their times. So this dude is saying that the Bible is a reliable source of information, and it coincides with history. So we had to get that, y'all. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2, and let's read verse 19. We're going to skip a little bit. It says, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph uh, to Joseph in Egypt. So this is when Herod died. Reading on, verse 20. Saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. Verse 20. Now let's jump over to verse 15. I hope I didn't lose nobody, man. Before I prove my next point, I want everybody to understand that the murder of innocents did happen. What we just read in Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, where Herod did kill all those Israelite babies, that happened. That's in, that's in historical accounts. These are real figures. They're not uh, imaginary figures. And as we can see, this had nothing to do with religion. All right, so I'm going on to prove my next point, uh, which is Matthew chapter 2, and let's jump up to verse 15. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken out of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, spoken out of the, the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So this was 
prophesied in the Old Testament that Christ was going to come out of the land of Egypt and go back to Israel. And let's get this. Let's get Hosea chapter 11. And this right here, I got I got to admit, this is for all of our uh, Old Testament-only brothers who don't believe in the New Testament and say that there ain't no Messiah or the Messiah ain't come yet. So Hosea chapter uh, 11 and verse 1. And this is a dual fall prophecy too, y'all, meaning it has two different meanings. It says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So this is talking about when we were there under bondage during the time of the Egyptians and when Moses uh, took us up out of the land of Egypt and the Most High uh, proclaimed us his nation, his people, and his son. So it's talking about that, but it's also talking about Christ coming out of Egypt. And who is Christ? It's the Most High Son. I hope y'all seeing this, man. So this is one of the scriptures that show Yahweh Shai in the Old Testament. The Bible is a, a real book, a factual book, y'all. Now I want to cover something else. Let's jump to Luke now. Do I have time? Yeah, I got a little time. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and what verse I want to start in? Let's see verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and it reads, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree. So in those days there went out a decree or a law from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Oh, wait a minute. Now, last week, you remember, y'all, I covered the 12 Caesars. And Caesar Augustus was the second Caesar, the longest uh, reigning Caesar, who reigned 40 years in Rome. Now, listen to what he did. It says, uh, let me read it again. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree, Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. So he put out this degree that all the world had to be taxed, right? We know. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor in Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his spouse's wife, being great for child. So they had to go back to Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary had to go back. And this is during the time when Mary was pregnant with Christ. But they had to go back to be taxed. Now, what's so important about this event is it's historical. But you have a lot of people say that this never happened. <laughs> but they say this. So you won't know that the Bible is an actual history book, y'all. All right, so we're going to go to this website. This is unrv.com, and it reads, Taxes in the Providences. Oh, man, I got to go back and get some more of this, too. It says, um, with expansion, Roman senators found that actual census taking in the Providences was a difficult task at best. 
To ease the strain, taxes were assessed as a type or entire communities rather than on individuals. Tax assessments in these communities fell under the jurisdiction of profitable governors and various local magistrates using rules similar to the old system. Now watch this. We're dealing with ancient Rome, y'all. Tax formers, also known as publicanes. Does this sound familiar? Wasn't one of Christ's disciples, I believe it was, I forget who it was. One of them was a publican, but they were called tax formers. These were the publicans. So these were Israelites that worked for the, the Roman government as tax collectors. Now, we read on. It says tax formers, publican, publican, were used to collect these taxes from the, the providences. Rome eliminated its own burden for this process, would, would put the collection of taxes up for auction every few years. The publican would bid for the right to collect in particular regions and pay the state in advance of this collection. Payments were set, loaned to the state, and Rome was required to pay interest back to the publicani as an offset. The publicani had the individual responsibility of converting properties and goods collected into coinage, alleviating this hardship from the treasury. You see this? Yeah, it was Matthew the publican. Thank you, Mashaba. So being a publican was a very lucrative position to have. So while Mishab, it's Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican. You see this? And the publicans were despised. They were hated by Israelites. And this is why. This is why. Because they worked for the Romans. They were looked at as Looked at as sellouts. Y'all, that's all the time. I hate I got to stop here, but I, I have to, man. Uh, but we're going to come back. Let me see. Let me mark my stopping place. We're going to come back and continue proving that the event that we read in Luke chapter 2 actually happened. I'm going to keep proving this. Uh, so while to everybody for tuning in, man. I hope everybody got, everybody got some understanding, some edification. The Water Mashaba for hooking up the broadcast. And on, until next Tuesday, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tug Pop Tuesdays, Tug Pop Tuesdays, Tug Pop Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say, Shalom.